Today's shir begins 16 lines from the top of Daf Yud Ches. You can estimate approximately halfway down. We are picking up a discussion that we started during our last year, so that in order to fully appreciate and get into today's year, it would be imperative to lead into this from that which we learned in our previous year. On the side of the Gemara, we have a no say a topic heading. Roman numerals 1 and 2 are featured. You see there, Shlavim, these represent stages. Lahazbir, Machlokis, Rebeloser, Benyaikiv, Rabbonan. Uh, in order to explain the Machlokis Tanoim that we saw in our previous shear, at the very end of our previous shear, you see there's a framed section. Someone who comes along and says, You know, I owed your father a hundred dollars and I paid him back fifty of them. Ravalozer ben Yankov says, Nishba, that the person who opens up with, the, with this claim, he has to swear. He has to swear to back up what he is saying. Rabbonon say Eino Nishba. He doesn't have to swear to back up what he's saying. Davi Kameshi Vabeda. He is no different than a, a, a good hearted person that comes along and returns a lost item uh, where we. Where it's, it's, it's will say obvious that we don't impose any uh, uh, difficulties, uh, burdens upon someone who comes to do a good turn, someone who comes to do a good deed, who comes forth willingly on his own to restore a lost item. Here we have someone coming out of the goodness of his heart saying, You know, uh, um, I, I owed your father a hundred dollars and I paid him back fifty of them and I still owe him fifty so that is equal to the idea of Meshiva Veda, restoring a lost item in fact this approach, the approach taken by the Rabbonin seems to be such an obvious approach, <clears throat> the question is what is in uh, Rabbi Lozman Yankov's mind when he imposes a Shavua so it must be that there is more to this than meets the eye so we're picking up with that particular Tanaic source, uh, that is the conclusion of that source, and now the Gemara itself. For Rabbalozer ben Yankov, less lay Meshiv Avedo Potter, does Rabbalozer ben Yankov not uh, subscribe to the idea that when you uh, volunteer information uh, that you weren't prompted to uh, verbalize, that you should have to take a shvua? Is it not a case of Mesha Aveda and he should certainly be exempt from taking a shvua? So does he not hold from that? Omar Rav. So Rav explains that the case that we saw in the Tanaic source isn't as, we'll say, innocent looking as we made it out to be, where a guy just popped out of the blue volunteering information, but rather, Betoyanoi Koton. A miner came up to some fellow and says, you know, don't you owe my father your, or uh, you borrowed a hundred dollars from my father and because of that it's not a case of Meshav Abed of someone simply coming out of the goodness of his heart and volunteering information and thereby uh, ought to be exempt from a Shavuah the Gemara asks but even so the Omar Mar but have we not learned in Masechus Shavuos Ein Nishboyen Altainus Cheres Shaitavakotan if a a, uh, an inept individual. Uh, these are three examples you find throughout the Shas a deaf mute, an imbecile, or a minor. If they make a claim, that does not generate the need to take a Shavua. So, still, even if you say Toan o Kotan, why should that require a Shavua as far as Rebbe ben Yankiv is concerned? The Gemara says, My Kotan, what is meant by the word Kotan? Godol. We thought that Kotan meant a minor. No, he is an adult. Why is the term Kotan used if you're in fact referring to an adult? An adult that's making the claim. Regarding his father's dealings, he is like a minor. So, uh, we understand that you're not dealing with someone who simply comes out of pure innocence volunteering information and Rebbe Yankov is imposing upon him the need to take an oath to back up his claim, but rather talking about an adult uh, and, this, and who says, you know, you uh, borrowed money from my father 
uh, you borrowed a hundred dollars from my father, and uh, as far as the term in the source that he's referred to as a cotton, it's because he is not familiar or not expected to be familiar with his father's dealings. The Gemara asks, okay, so now we've established that we're dealing with a claim is being made, and the speaker in the source is responding to a claim. Yachi, Tainus, Atzmo, in the original source, you can use a, a, uh, an arrow, and you can align this with the arrow above, where you saw the uh, source describing this situation as Tainus Atzmo, where someone comes forth on his own. But that's not the case anymore. Tainus Achirimhi. It's really a claim uh, uh, levied by someone else, by this son of the individual. So the Gemara says, why does the word Atzmo appear? Tainus Achim Vodoas Atzmo. It's someone else, that this, this adult son of the individual who is making the claim, and the respondent is admitting on his own. In other words, he is responding. He's being mode. He's conceding that I still owe 50. The Gemara asks, Kulu, Kuli Tanosa, all claims in all financial dealings you have A. making a claim and B. conceding part why in the source does it say notice we have a little star you can align this with the star above in the source it said that sometimes it, 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 it comes out that a person has to uh, swear out asmo. What do you mean sometimes? All claims are like this, where A makes a claim and B responds. So, we have to go back to the drawing board. What is really going on in this source? And Rashi explains the missing, uh, what you don't see in the Gemara, is that we're going back to a case of a true miner, an actual miner, is making the claim. You know, you owe, you owed my father, you owe my father a hundred dollars. And you might have asked, well, if it's a cotton mamish, but didn't we say that we don't impose oaths when the claim is made by a miner? So Rashi explains that is true when it's the miner claiming something that he did himself. In other words, I, the child, says, I gave you such and such, and uh, I'm claiming it back. So, if the respondent says, yes, you gave me, uh, you gave me ten uh, units of whatever, and I gave you back five of them, so then you wouldn't have to swear. And the, uh, this is based on a posuk, Rashi says, where it uses the word ish, ki yitain ish el re'eu. That's found in the, in the, in the posuk, in the Torah, and the word ish indicates an adult, not a cotton. But here, we're not dealing with a cotton who's claiming that he had extended the loan or that he had given something to the party that's being claimed from, but rather, it's a claim that he's making in the name or uh, in, in, in the memory of his father. In other words, based on his father's dealings. So, in a case like that, it's not purely cotton with the cotton shvua exemption. So, in this case, Rebbe Lozavanyankov says there is a basis for taking an oath. Uh, the Rabbonon will tell you that even in such a case, there is an exemption. We'll see more about this as we go on in the Gemara. What is really the Machlokis? But what we just pointed out in Rashi is that if you're setting this up as a case of a cotton is making the claim, then we have to explain why a Shavua is being made when we saw a source quoted from a Shavuos, Ein in Altainus cotton. So we go, continue, we continue in the Gemara. By the way, take note of the fact that uh, Rabbah is going to appear now, and this is a there's a long marking that takes us down to the fourth line from the top of Omid Bays. And also we want to point out that this 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 is a teretz to explain the Machlokis Tanoim. This is a long answer, and that's why you have a long answer marking. The Gemara.
The point of difference or the point of controversy between Reb Lozer ben Yaakov and the Chachomim revolves around Rabba's teaching. Why in general, there's a principle, a well-known principle in the, the realm of monetary claims that when a, of a person is is uh, charged with owing money. He, he's, he's, a claim is laid uh, laid against the person uh, as, as to owing money, and he responds that I don't owe the full amount that you're demanding, but rather I own part of the amount. I owe part of that amount. That's called moida b'mixas, a partial confession. That from the Torah generates the need for him to swear to back up his claim. We should mention parenthetically that. The whole idea of taking an oath in Jewish law is something that's done uh, in a very in a, in a, is not taken lightly. Let's put it that way. It's something that in in many cases people would rather pay money that they feel they don't owe rather than take an oath. So, uh, with that in mind, Rabbah tells us explains why is it that the Torah. It imposes a shvua when someone issues a partial confession. He answers, Chazoka There's a given that a person does not have the audacity to make a complete denial to someone when you owe something. If you actually owe money or items, whatever, to someone. Human nature is such they don't have the audacity to make a total denial. Vahai, this in this case of a case of Moidaba Miktas, when you hear someone making a partial admission, Bekula Boy Delichbere, he would like to deny everything. Vahai Delo Kofar, that which he makes a partial confession. And he doesn't deny everything. Because of this nature that we just described, that a person wouldn't have the gall, wouldn't have the audacity or the nerve to, uh, to deny a complete denial when he does owe. We continue at the top of Omid Beis. And we're suspicious that this person who is making a partial confession actually owes the full amount. And he should actually be confessing thusly. Uh, that which he is not making the full confession is rather making this partial confession. He is doing it as a we'll say it, a delay mechanism. Lishtamit means a, an avoidance mechanism. Vesovar, he figures, zuzi I don't have the full amount. I don't have everything he's claiming for me. So I want to I uh, uh, stall him. So as we said, you have a guy here that really owes, or because we're suspicious, that when you hear someone making a partial confession, that we're suspicious he really owes the full amount. He doesn't have the full amount on him. He's trying to buy time. So he he says, uh, he makes this denial. But he's not going to have the nerve to make a full denial. So he makes a partial denial. And a, which, of course, partial confession. Figuring that I'll hold him off this way until I get the full amount and I'll pay him what I really owe him. For Rahmana Omar. And the Torah says... Romi We are going to place an oath upon someone that makes a partial confession. We don't, in other words, we don't like this. This whole idea of stalling someone and making a, a partial confession in order to buy time is against our uh, uh, against our principles. It's against our law and tradition. So the Torah says, you know what? If you hear someone making a partial confession, let us place an oath, the need to swear to that. So as to motivate him to come out with the truth if he really does owe the full amount. If someone really does owe the full amount, 
uh, as painful as it might be to admit that he owes the full amount and not benefit from this uh, stall mechanism, he would sooner confess to the full amount than swear falsely. So up till now, we've presented the logic or the psychology behind the basic principle of that a person who makes a partial confession has to swear. Now we have to take all of this information and plug it back into the Machlokes Rebelozer ben Yankiv and the Chachomim. Rebelozer ben Yankiv Sovar Lo shno boy velo shno bivnoi the, this, whole da, this whole idea of a person not having the goal to deny everything, it makes no difference whether it's the individual himself that loaned the money, or it's the son of the person that loaned the money, even if he's a minor. Eino meis, the uh, claimant, the person from whom the money is being claimed, would not have the goal to uh, to uh, make a full denial. Fehilkoch lav meshiv avedohavi. Therefore, he's not considered someone who is volunteering information when he makes this partial confession, even if it's a the child, a minor who is making the claim, you owed my father a hundred dollars, this guy is not going to have the nerve to say, I don't owe him anything. So when he says, I owe him fifty dollars, we are suspicious that maybe he owes the full amount. And therefore, we impose a shul on him so that he comes out with the truth. For Abonon Savri, the Rabbonin who said that in this case he's exempt from swearing, they hold boy who the Enomeus. In a case where it's the individual himself that extended the loan, a person would not have the nerve to, to make a full denial. So that when he says, I owe him only 50%, this arouses the whole uh, thought and suspicion that we elaborated on before. Avol bivnoi meis. However, if it's a son of the person, and Rashi adds, even if they happen to be an adult, but it's not the person who did you the favor by loaning you the money, but it's his son. If, uh, if let's say, you um, wanted to uh, be mayes, to be bold and deny everything, but let's say you really did owe the whole amount, but you were interested in this stall mechanism, he would, he would have the nerve, he would have the audacity to deny everything. And in our case, where we see the fellow from whom the money is being claimed is admitting that I owe 50%. He's moda bimixas. Is he a, uh, is he a schemer? No. He's a nice guy. Because if he was a schemer trying simply to buy time in order to get the funds together, he would have denied everything. So the fact that he is not denying everything but admitting that I still owe him 50%, Meshiv Avedo Havi is viewed as someone that's returning a lost article. And just like someone who comes on his own voluntarily returning a lost article would not have to swear uh, concerning the item he found that this is everything I found and he doesn't have to say anything he doesn't have to swear to back up whatever he has to say. Likewise over here where the guy is nice enough to say I, uh, I still owe your father $50 we have to appreciate that as the truth and no need to impose a shwanim, and he's no different than a meshiv avedon, therefore no need to impose an oath. Because if he, if he were, let's say, a schemer, he would have denied everything in order to buy time. But he's not. And therefore, no need, according to the Rabbonon, to take a shwa. Once again, according to Rebbe Lezer ben Yankiv, he would never have denied everything. And therefore, 
even when it's the son that's placing the claim, even if it happens to be a minor son that's placing the claim, we still have to consider that uh, uh, that, that he's a schemer, and therefore he has to swear to back up what he is claiming, that he owes only 50%. Now, just for the sake of detail, why did the original source saying that sometimes a person is nishba on tainus atzmo, when in fact we're dealing with a case where the child of the individual was making the claim. It wasn't someone ma- coming forth on his own making a, uh, making a, uh, a statement. So why does it say tainus atzmo? So Rashi explains because in general, when a child makes a claim, certainly when it applies to himself, it doesn't have any substance to it. So it's, it's as if there's no one making the claim because of its insignificance. But nevertheless, the case does involve a, uh, a cotton making the claim. We continue with the new Mishnah. Before we do so, we glance at the side. We have a topic heading, the no saying. Peshe'osar peshehitir. We've discussed till now this type of claim that a person makes that's called Peshosa Peshehitir. The a person who whose uh, claim seems to be very strong because he opens up with uh, with something that with information that might be viewed as as uh, negative as uh, injurious and then follows it up with additional information that uh, counters it, that balances it out, making it favorable. And we saw that already. We're going to now apply that idea to witnesses that confirm that the signatures on a document are in fact theirs. So they're Acknowledging that these signatures are our own signatures. However, and then they add information that would basically neutralize the validity of the document that they signed on, claiming that we weren't fit to sign when we did sign. So we're not denying that these are our signatures, but we're adding information that the signatures were made under special circumstances that would have, oh, say, considered us unfit to sign. So now the Mishnah. And it's also worth pointing out that without their speech, we would not have been able to verify the signatures. It's, it's not as if the signatures were uh, uh, visible or appeared on other documents. We know the signatures to be theirs only because they're saying so. So you have these witnesses that say, these are our signatures, avol anusim hoyinu, however we signed under duress, ketanim hoyinu, we were minors, and hence unqualified for signing, psulei edus hoyinu, we were disqualified, we were uh, relatives, or we were gamblers, people that are unfit, uh, unqualified, for signing documents. Well, with this information, we believe what they're saying, and then the the, the star, the document upon which their signatures appear, would ha- would lose all significance. When we speak about documents, we can speak about loan documents, uh, documents that that c- confirm a loan having taken place, or bills of sale. We continue in the Mishnah. If there are external witnesses that could confirm these signatures as belonging to uh, these specific men, or their signatures appeared on other documents that were verified by courts with a court uh, we'll call a court seal to it that they that those are those are authentic documents with authentic signatures. And then when we take this document that's in question and compare it, we see that the the signatures match. 
That's the case of Sav Yodom Yotzimamakam Acher. Their their signatures appear on uh, from on an outside source. Einon Nemonim. Then the witnesses with their claim that well, when we signed this document, we were under duress or we were minors or we were disqu- we were unqualified. They are not believed simply because we don't need them in the first place to establish their signatures as their signatures. So you don't have that element of Pesha Osar in this case. Now as we go on in the Gemara, you notice a uh, marking scheme with, with numbering. And on the side, under the Mivne heading, a diamond appears. And we also indicate uh, Roman numerals 1 and 2. These are Shnei Lushoinois Beromi Barhamo, two versions of Romi Barhamo, Shemachalek Bain Sugei Ones, in which a distinction is made between different types of uh, situation, uh, situations of Ones. Ones, we can say duress, uh, uh, extenuating circumstances. They, they, they are as follows Machmas Momon, Machmas Nefoshis. A person is under duress because of some type of financial threat, where the, uh, they're 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 threatened if you don't sign this document, then we're going to take away your property, or where they're threatened that if you don't sign this document, we're going to kill you. Now the Gemara, Omar Romi Barhamo, Loi Shonu. This is a qualification of the Mishnah. The Mishnah said that if Ksav Yodom if their signatures appear on another document that was already verified in court, then they are not believed when they say they were Anusim, that they were under duress. So that idea that they're not believed is that we were under the threat of financial loss if we wouldn't sign. Why are they not believed? Because if, if we would be believing them, these people are in effect declaring themselves to be Rishoim, to be wicked. In other words, to lie in order to save money. You're not allowed to do that. So, if we were to believe them, then we would in effect be... Uh, establishing them to be Rishoyim. And there's a principle in testimony. Ein Odom Oisa Atzmoy Rasha. A person, since he's, a person is considered related to himself, he, information that he says about himself, which uh, leads him to become a Rasha, is not accepted. You can't, uh, for example, relatives cannot testify. And you are considered related to yourself. And here, because of this principle that you are Adam Korovetzal Atzmo, the Ain Adam Asim Atzmo Russia, so you are not believed. So, as far as we're concerned, there is no duress. Of all, if these witnesses say, Anusim Hoyinu Machmas Nefoshus, we signed because we were under the threat of life. They are believed, even if these signatures appear on other documents. That does not prevent the witnesses from telling us that when they signed, they signed because they were under the under uh, life-threatening circumstances. In other words, the the owner of this document that insisted we sign it threatened our lives. Omar Lay Rava. There's a question that lasts a number of lines. And he asks, Kol Kamine, do they have the power to basically undo this document through this information? Kevon Shehigid, Shuv Eino Choser Umagid. Once they say that these are our signatures, or once we are able to establish that the, these are veritable signatures by virtue of the fact that they signed another document, 
that in effect is their testimony verifying the signatures once again the fact that their signatures appear on other documents that match this one other documents having withstood the test of, of court scrutiny that is tantamount to testimony that the signatures on this document are honest signatures so once witnesses say testimony they can't then say additional testimony that would undo their previous testimony so that's the beginning of Rava's question can the witnesses really tell us after we know that these are are, are um, non-forged signatures because they appear on other verified documents can they tell us now that these signatures were done under life-threatening circumstances and should we believe that and then undo this this star we have a principle you might say that that principle is true when the first testimony was oral testimony which is then going to be undone by a second oral testimony like in in a case where they would give us information orally at first and then later on try to undo what they said beforehand where the original testimony is in the form of a document well, then I would say that they can undo that. So that's what you might want to say. That the principle of Kivon Shehigid, Shuvei Nechazer Magid, applies only when a second piece of oral testimony is, is, is there to undo a first piece of oral testimony. But where you have oral testimony undoing that which is written in a document, as is the case with these signatures, so then you can undo the... Uh, the we'll say the veritability of these signatures by information that they were made under duress. Yeah, but all that's not true. <laughs> Witnesses that are signed on a document, it's the equivalent of witnesses that went through cross examination. In other words, there's no difference between information or testimony that's written versus testimony that was made orally. So the principle of Kivon Shigit Shubayn Magu would apply here as well. So therefore, once you have signatures that appear in a shtar that can be verified by comparison to a previous document that was subjected to court scrutiny, then there's no more that can be done uh, or, or no more information that we're going to accept regarding the circumstances of the signatures in this star. Elo ki itmar, aresha itmar. Now, Romi Bar had made some kind of comment making a distinction between Momen and Nefoshes. So, with regard to what did Romi Bar make his statement? So, the Gemara points out it's going on the beginning of the Mishnah. Where it said, that if witnesses come along and say, this, these are our signatures, and we wouldn't know that from any other source, unlike the Seifa. They come and tell us these are our signatures, and then follow with more information, namely that they were unqualified to have signed it. Oma Romi Barhamo, Lo Shonu. The witnesses, when they say that they were Anusim, that they signed under duress, and we believe them, that's only if their story is that we were under duress because of the threat of life. Yes, we signed, but we were under financial threat, and that's why we signed. They would not be believed. My time off. Why are they not believed? Answer, Ein odomesim atzmo rasha. A person is not believed to make himself into a wicked individual. And to say that you signed a lie because you were under financial threat 
basically is saying, I'm a liar. And you're not believed when you say that about yourself. If we look in Rashi, right under the Gemara, the third line, under the Gemara, third wide line, A person is not believed to alter his status. To alter his status. A person is given the benefit that he is an honest individual. That's the given status that a person has. To, for you to come along and alter that, you're not believed. The korov who ate sal atzmo, you're considered related to yourself. The korov posel liedos, and a relative is unfit to testify. Brother uh, cannot testify about his brother's activities. So, all the more so, you cannot testify about yourself when the testimony is designed to change your status from what is perceived as an honest individual to a liar. Before we continue in the Gemara, we have a topic heading, no say, on the side. Shitas Rabbi Meir, Shecholek al We're going to now see the opinion of Rabbi Meir, who has an opinion that is at variance with our Mishnah. V'sover di'ein peshosar peshitir legabi edim hameidim al chasimoson. The concept of peshosar peshitir simply does not apply with regard to witnesses that testify concerning their signatures. That once witnesses say, these are our signatures, that's it. They cannot say anything more about the circumstances under which they signed. So now the Gemara. Tonu Rabbonon. Ein ne'emonim leposlo. Divrei Rebbe Meir. Unlike the ratio of our Mishnah, Rabbi Meir says they're not believed when they tell us information that would would uh, disqualify the document. In other words, that as a result of their information which disqualifies their signatures, after admitting that these are their signatures, all additional information that they give us will have no uh, importance, according to Rabbi Meir. The Chachamim, like in our Mishnah, say that witnesses are believed. So that when witnesses say, these are our signatures, but we signed under duress, uh, hence uh, making the whole case, the whole deal, or whatever is represented by that document is invalid, they are believed. The Gemara continues now with an analysis of this Machlokis Tanoim. We're going to be focusing on Rabbi Meir with a, basically a long question on, uh, in trying to understand Shitas Rebbe Meir. This long question note goes to the second line from the top of the Yutes. the Rabbonon. I understand according to the Rabbonon that they're believed Ki Tamayu, based on their principle, Shapesh uh, A statement that one makes that creates a self-imposed restriction if you are making that kind of statement, you are and, and you're you're believed with regard to that. We also believe you with the additional information that undoes that restriction. Elola Rebbe Mayor, my time. Why, according to Mayor, are they not believed? We go through now the three different cases of, or three different uh, examples where Adim, where the witnesses would be disqualifying their signatures. In two of the three cases, we can understand what Rebbe Meir is saying. And the double underlining highlights those three cases. Bishlema Psule Edus. I understand that when they say, oh, when we signed uh, this document, uh, we were uh, related to one another. The reason that they're not believed is because the person, if it's a loan document, a person would not extend a loan and write it into a document unless he checked out very well who was signing the loan. And he, you can rest assured that they, uh, they, they were under the scrutiny of the, uh, of the uh, creditor. And hence, they are in all likelihood not related. Or... They're not psulatists, they're not gamblers like they claim to be. Their claim that we signed but we were minors and Rabbi Meir says we're not going to believe them also 
based on Reislokish, Domer Reislokish, we continue at the top of Daf Yud Tes. Chazoka Eino Edim Chosmin Al Ashtar Elim Kein There's a a given in terms of society that witnesses would not be allowed to sign a document unless they were adults. So once again, it's a type of given and to therefore entertain the possibility that they are claiming that they were minors is far-fetched. But their claim that they were under duress. Why are they not believed? As we go on, you notice a marking scheme. Uh, triangles appear, and on the side, under the Nosei Mivne heading, these are Hezberim, Lashitas, Rebbe Meir. These are explanations for Rebbe Meir. The Edim Shomru, Savyu Deinuze, Witnesses who say, yes, these are our signatures, but we signed under duress, they're not believed. Well, why not? The Gemara. Omar Rav Chista. Kosova Rabbi Meir. Edim She'omru Lahem, Chasmu Sheker V'al Te'aragu. And here we're going to see something that uh, is, is actually shocking. And it, I think you'll, you'll see that as far as the Gemara itself, they were shocked by this, by this explanation. But we have to play along, though it's going to undergo a change later. What's the shocking explanation? Rabbi Chisla says that Rabbi Meir holds that witnesses that are threatened with either sign a lie or be killed, Rabbi Meir would hold that that you have to give up your life rather than signing a lie. So for them to have said we didn't cooperate with the halacha, the halacha demanded our sacrificing our lives instead of signing a lie, and we signed the lie instead of giving up our lives. They're essentially making themselves out to be wicked, to be rishoyim. And we said before, ain't adam mesim atzmo rasha. A person is not believed with regard to changing his status into a wicked person. Rava just can't believe this explanation. Notice we have a long question. There's also a bracketed section in the middle that we're going to initially skip to make the reading easier. Omar Lei Rava. Rava says to Rav Chista, Hashta ilu osu lekamon limluchi. Imagine witnesses before signing any document would come in front of us and come in front of the rabbis to consult. The Luffy is to consult, to ask. Should we sign a lie or be killed? Amrinon, we would instruct them, sign the lie and save your, don't get killed, save your lives this way. Skipping the brackets. So we would tell them to sign the lie. Hashta de chosmu. Now that they on their own, they signed the lie. Amrina lu amai chasmisu. We would then challenge them. Hey, why did you sign that? You should have given up your lives. We would have told them not to sacrifice their lives. Now let's go over the bracketed section. Rava says, mind you, had they come in front of us to consult, should we sign the lie or or um, uh, give up our lives by not signing we would tell them sign the lie and don't get killed the we're reading in the brackets there there is nothing in halacha that stands in the way of preservation of life there are three call them three cardinal offenses idolatry uh, immorality and bloodshed. And only in those cases would a person be expected to sacrifice his life instead of worshipping an idol, sacrifice his life instead of engaging in forbidden acts of, of uh, intimacy, sacrifice one's life instead of killing someone else. Fine, there you have to sacrifice your life. But not in terms of uh, signing a lie. Hashto de chasmu now that they did sign a lie, namely they put they attached their names to a document indicating that 
that someone extended a loan when the loan never took place. Would we challenge them and say, Ah, Amai Chasmisa, why did you sign the lie? They're not making themselves in, uh, wicked when they say, We signed, we were on Nusim because our lives were threatened. So why does Rebbe Meir say that they are not believed? Elo taimu de Rebbe Meir marav. The basis of Rabbi Meir who says that witnesses are not believed when they say Anusim Ha'inu is based on Rav Huna's teaching. The Omar Rav Huna Omar Rav. First of all, we have to make we have to point out that Rabbi Meir is talking about a situation where the borrower admitted that he prepared that document that he borrowed the money. So you have a Lova, Lova is the borrower, who admits that he had borrowed the money. He might also be telling us that he paid it up, but the document is present. In the, and and the, the Lova admitted having once written and prepared this document with these witnesses signing it. Once you have a case like that, Rafuna says, Moida Bishdasha Kosvo, the Malve does not have to verify the signatures. Now we take a look at Rashi on the first of the narrow lines. A borrower confesses or he admits that he had borrowed the money and the witnesses that signed were according to his instructions. The the creditor uh, does not have to verify the signatures in this document. The borrower is no longer believed to say, I paid it up. The low amrinon behai and we're not going to say regarding this case once the Lova says that this was a kosher loan document the star has been that is the verification of the star and when he says I paid it up though what do you mean you paid it up? Well, what's the document is still it's still intact in the hands of the of the creditor? Rabbi Meir Nami Diomar Ein Nemonim Leposlo. Rabbi Meir, who said that witnesses are not believed to disqualify their signatures, his statement was made in the, with this background. The Lova admitted that this star was a was a uh, a, a, a true star was an was an uh, an honest star at one point the kosovar rabbi meir holds lo tsrichinon su leedim we don't need the witnesses anymore falava pumayu mekayim and it's not upon their word that the star is being verified that being the case, they witnesses can say whatever they want. We don't need them whatsoever. So that's the uh, reason that the uh, Rebbe Meir is of the opinion that witnesses that say these are in fact our signatures, but we were under duress. We don't listen to them because it's these circumstances. As we said, the Lova himself admitted that this star had been written because he had in fact borrowed money and uh, any further information that the witnesses give us is simply of no value of no concern no need and therefore that what the, that they tell us they were under duress is of no concern to us goof up uh, we're now going to just go back over. We're going to quote this statement with a little elaboration. Once a lova confesses, admits that he had written the star, 
the Malve doesn't have to verify it any further, and the Malve, the creditor, will be able to collect, and the claims that the Lova makes, that he already paid it up, we're not going to heed that, because we're always going to raise the problem, why, if you paid it up, why is the star still around? You should have torn up the loan document if you paid it up already. Omar Le Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman says to Rav Huna, Genuve Genuvi Lomaloch, here we take a look at Rashi. Ginova, Misganevata, Lomar Devorecha Boloshem Shalonechliku, Bohayochid Vamrubim. You made a comment that Moide Bishdashi Kosvo ain't Sorch Lekaimo. You made it as if it's a blanket statement concerning which there's no controversy, where the, uh, the majority opinion uh, would not disagree. You basically said something that is a minority opinion. You said it in an unqualified fashion so that everyone would accept it. Well, that's wrong. You shouldn't do things like that. That's Rav Nachman's uh, problem. And that's what he means when he says, Genuva, Genuva. Genuva literally has to do with the theft. It's like you're, you're, you're uh, tricking us. You're... you're you're making us believe something that's not the case. If you hold like Rebbe Meir, you should have said that the halacha is like Rebbe Meir. At least in, tell, let us know that uh, that what you're saying of that's the end of the story and there's no need for any further verification that's the opinion of Rabbi Meir and then we would judge if we want to follow that as it's a minority opinion or not Omar Lay, Rav Huna after hearing the criticism says Umar Hechi and how do you hold in the case of we have a lover that says uh, yeah, I, I wrote the document. I did. I did have that. It's not a forgery. I had this document prepared because of a loan that I needed, but uh, but I paid it up. What do you do in cases like that? Omar lay. So Rav Nachman answers. Ki osu ladina. When creditors come with uh, documents uh, like this. Rashi says, Amrinon Lahu, we tell the creditors, Zilu Kaimu that even though the Lova is admitting that he had the Shtar written up, I still want you to verify the signatures. It's not enough that the Lova confesses that he had prepared the Shtar. He is, after all, saying that he paid it up. So that even though he's admitting that he wrote the star, but he's also saying he paid it up. So in order for you creditors to be able to, con- to collect the money, I want you to verify the signatures through court verification, and then Chosu Ladino Mizuru, and then descend into the case, but and then uh, press uh, press your case for collection of the money. But the first step, says Rav Nachman, is I still insist on verification. Not like uh, what Rav Huna said, that there's no need for kiyum. Uh, I say, even though he's yes, there still is need for kiyum, for kiyum being the uh, court verification of the signatures.